If only it was like kumbaya and, you know, bro hugs or whatever all the time. Right. Very rarely is it either of those things. I know you'll keep me honest here. I'm here for you, man. Look, you know, when you have 99 kids, oh, we like this one. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and make our own. Mash the button one more time a week. Hey, Sam, why don't you go ahead and uh, retire with a trillion dollars, fanny pack and all? Not going to be throwing any sympathy your way. Oh, we'll be at like GPT-67 by the time this episode comes out. (laughs) Hey, guys, welcome back to Result Junkies podcast. There is plenty in the news right now. And as usual, we did not get through all of our topics last week. So on the docket this week, we are talking a bit about DoorDash and Stripe two names that you probably know well that help illustrate a couple of points that Paul and I see in the in the broader ecosystem right now. And we may even wander into the world of ChatGPT, OpenAI, and uh, and whether it is the the final innovation that uh, that Mr. Singh and I will see. Maybe maybe mine since I'm ten years older than you. <laughs> oh man, well, I don't I don't know I don't know. Well, we got a lot to cover. How's uh, how's life? Life is uh, life is good. I am anxiously awaiting a mileage offer for Apple so that you can actually get a computer that works. That's that's high on my list. I was going to say you haven't found me a laptop yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> I am desperately working on it. I I am uh, I am and and for just a short period of time longer. Um, as we record while this will release while you're traveling, I I still hold over your head the fact that I've run a race that you haven't. And when next we speak, you will have completed the Castaway Key 5K and I will never hold that title over you again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll be traveling during April Fool's Day, but I thought if I wasn't, I was going to create like a GoFundMe for my MacBook and uh, tell you to donate to it. So, <laughs> but now the cat's out of the bag because I'll be on a boat. Yeah, that day. It seems like a lot of stuff's happened over the last couple weeks. I mean, I I feel like we have to talk about GPT at some point, but let's let's start with let's start with DoorDash. Uh, You you unsurprisingly, it has something to do with food, so you sent it to me. So why don't you set it up? Right. Well, (laughs) my strong feelings about the third party platforms. Um, Real quick before we dig into that. Show at resultsjunkies.com is the best way to email us. He is on social media at Paul Singh on all the platforms. I am on there at Pizza in Motion. And if you have a moment, we'd love it if you'd leave a five-star review and a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. That helps people discover the show. Super helpful for us. Because uh, our esteemed producer, Jeremiah, is stepping out on some uh, some family time, we are recording this episode about a week early. So um, uh, there may be... Uh, wild innovations over the next week in the world of technology. But we think we feel pretty safe with the topics that we've got on on tap. Uh, famous last words. Oh, we'll be at like GPT-67 by the time this episode comes right. out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the DoorDash article is an interesting one, and, it, and uh, we'll obviously link to it in the show notes. But it, it in and of itself is not innovative. I just think it really illustrates a point that you've brought up a number of times on the show and off the show to me. It talks about DoorDash picking up new partners where they're now delivering products for Lush Cosmetics, Victoria's Secret, and Party City. So you can place orders with vendors like that and have DoorDash deliver it to you just like they'll deliver burger, fries, milkshake from my Five Guys restaurants, a pizza, you name it. And to tee it up for you, I think the thought process here you've always talked about is that, you know, in the beginning, your your moat is your ability to iterate on a product and, and solve a problem for someone. And then at some point you pivot from that into distribution. 
and that distribution now becomes the moat for these successful companies. And I think that this is a, a really good example of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I think that, uh, yeah, like when you start, I, whenever I'm talking to very early stage founders, I, I at least advise them to just stay away from partnerships, stay away from making any deals with people that don't have the same urgency as you. And that typically when you're dealing with like partners, that that's almost always the case. So it's like when you start, you, you've you got to find a way to get directly to the customer. I, I think DoorDash and Uber Eats and all those folks did did the same thing. But then at some point, and it's different for every company, every industry, but at some point you get big enough where you have to start really doubling down on the distribution side of things, partly because you want to block others out of it, but also because like that's, Sometimes the easier way to grow your audience. I mean, you know, you look at that article for for DoorDash, and I, I'm going to sound horrible here at uh, in terms of stereotyping, but if you look at like the the three retailers they talk about, it's Lush Cosmetics, Victoria's Secret, and Party City. I don't think it was accidental that they picked those three as this particular wave. I think for whatever reason they felt that they needed to get into that demographic more aggressively, and so they went after those three, I guess. I mean, I, like, I, I have a hard time believing that those three brands ended up in the same statement <laughs> side by side. And yet, you, I think you can attest, you know, having a wife at home, that, that these are, even though these do appeal to potentially a, a more female demographic, they are, they are a bit divergent in that, you know, I think about my own wife when I'm traveling and she's home alone and got the kids and, you know, especially with like the age of your kids where it's just harder to put them all in a car, car seats and all that stuff. It's like, Hey, I need to get, start getting ready for, you know, son's second birthday. Let me put together a, a basket of stuff I need from party city and have it brought over to the house. Oh. And at the same time, let's throw some bras and panties in there. Yep. The, uh, I, I certainly like, I split on that from a usefulness standpoint when I think of like, you know, getting out there and what they need. But I think with the philosophy here is it to your point of, of aligning things is that, you know, my guess is to your point, DoorDash looked at their metrics and looked at the demographics of their user base and tried to figure out how to get a customer they already have to mash the button one more time a week. And that's probably a very simplistic way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, you probably remember back in the tech tour, the thing I always say is that traction is the new intellectual property and you could almost to read, you know, you can use that word interchangeably with distribution. Distribution is yeah. really where the intellectual property is. Like, don't get me wrong. For example, the the company who shall not be named, like, you know, we could certainly say that our code base is our intellectual property, and it is. And and we could certainly say that technology is our moat because it certainly is. But the truth is, is that it's the distribution engine that really matters. That's the thing that creates all the value in the longer term, whether you're going to go sell the company to somebody or, you know, any, anyway. So the point is, though, is that it's just that that distribution looks a little different the bigger and bigger you get. So when you're small, distribution is probably pay-per-click, cold outreach. It's it's things that you can control that directly put you in front of the customer. On the other extreme, you get big enough and you're having to do what DoorDash is doing here, which is get into as many retailers as you can and expand the demographics that you're exposed to. In many ways, it's the same thing that, you know, at scale, Netflix and Disney Plus and all those guys are doing too, right? Like once they got past setting it all up and all that, for example, Disney bought, uh, what is it? They bought ESPN, they bought Hulu, they bought, you know, all these platforms. 
because essentially they're just drawing in, like, how do I say this? People that watch ESPN probably don't see themselves as Disney people. For sure. I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that, that Venn diagram looks pretty thin in the middle there, I bet. Right. But now when they're watching ESPN on a streaming service, they may or may not realize it. they're running on Disney infrastructure and Disney gets to monetize you know, the ad inventory and stuff like that. I think when we think about terms that pop up in the, the startup world, I think, I think the, the potential quote unquote CAC for the DoorDash uh, offering is much better than the Disney offering and that the cost to acquire Hulu varies greatly from building a partnership where you've got some API that works in between the DoorDash you know, platform and Party City. And I would imagine that those are, significantly easier to build so the the bar to add the next one is probably you know much lower and that that means that from a partnership standpoint they don't need to have a thousand customers a day use the party city api to make it worth their while to have to have that you know onboarded onto their platform so from a distribution standpoint they can if they're smart they can be nimble and try many of these things yeah you know i wonder what the deal terms are underneath this like i uh (laughs) The other day, you know, we usually get the kids out the door by around 8 a.m. or so. And as I was getting the kids out the door and loaded into the car for, uh, you know, school trips and stuff like that, a van pulls up and drops off a Nordstrom box. I mean, it was 8 a.m. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I was like, uh, I didn't even think to ask, like, who it was because there was no, like, Uber or, or DoorDash logo or anything like that. It just all happened so fast. Anyway, I handed it over to Dana and I was like, what is this? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I ordered something at Nordstrom last night. Yeah. I, didn't expect it to come at 8 a.m. the next morning, but like that, that was probably not a Nordstrom driver. It was probably one of these delivery services. Yeah. And, and to, the, to your point on the economics, I think one of the companies that was early into this game was Apple. For quite a while now, you've been able to, to purchase Apple items and have them delivered by Uber. And in some cases, you know, without an additional fee. Now, it varied by market and all that stuff. But if you think about it, Apple is always, and I hate using words like always or never, but but historically they've had what I would call exceedingly low shipping costs. So, you know, hey, I, I, want, I want my laptop and it's free if they want it three days from now. But if I wanted it two days or one day from now, that's an extra, you know, 10 bucks or eight bucks or something like that. Uh, you know, so clearly they're amortizing some of that shipping cost into their cost of goods sold. And in that, in this case with Uber, in, in a lot of cases, my guess is they probably are as well amortizing some of that cost into there because they want to make their products available more quickly. So to that point, and then maybe this is a little bit different from DoorDash pushing these partnerships, but Apple sees value in if I can make it easier for you to buy something expensive and impulsive from me, you'll probably buy it more frequently. And th- there's... There's definitely some of that philosophy floating around in my head as I think about this relationship between DoorDash and these new partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I uh, hate to uh, admit it. I was looking at Apple uh, the other day, looking at MacBooks and stuff like that, and there was a $9 fee to have it delivered from the local store over to the house in in under two hours. I I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, And, and, and there's no way you could do it for that cheap. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, you might, you might, given that, given that gas guzzler that you drive, you might just spend nine bucks just in the gas, let alone allotting for your time. Well, look, it, you know, when you have 99 kids, you, you got to have like... And the, whose fault is that? I'm telling you, Dulles Airport, those people movers at Dulles Airport, I know everybody hates them. I love those things. And the day they decide to retire those and sell those people movers, I'm buying one. 
It's going to be my neighborhood golf cart. It's going to be ridiculous, <laughs> but I'll fit my entire 99 kid family in there. It's going to be great. You will, but changing the tires and those things is going to be a cast iron bitch, I bet. Yeah, but there'll be a service for that. There'll be, I don't know, there'll be some like zippy mechanic or something that'll come to the house and figure it out. (laughs) Moving on to, to Stripe and just, you know, at a high level, you know, without even digging into the article itself, if Stripe's valuation has been cut in half since the last time it raised, what is any other company worth right now. Ooh, yeah. Well, not good. Maybe uh this might be the kicker for the episode, but look, I I don't know the deal terms on Stripe, but to your question in specific, like yeah, there's going to be a lot of cram downs this year. All those all those big valuations from last year and the year before, they got to get corrected. And um you know, I'm sure founders are going to say, "Oh, well, you know, we need to raise a little bit more money. We're going to extend the terms of the last round or something like that. But that's not going to happen anymore. There's definitely going to be a lot of cram downs this year. And investors are probably the ones that are going to get hurt on it. You know, the previous investors are the ones that are going to get hurt on it. It's happening. I was surprised, actually, when you sent that article over. I happened to go look the market cap up for Visa. I didn't realize they were like $450 billion, plus or minus a little bit on the, the you know, depending on what time of the week you look at them. But I didn't realize they were that large. Well, I think this has been like the whole argument about why there's so much room to disrupt this space just because of how dominant Visa, uh, MasterCard, and American Express are in this space. Stripe, as massive as it is, still has a lot of room, still has a lot of room to run in this space, especially when you talk about, you know, the fact that the, the, the networks are obviously strongest in North America and other westernized countries, but in, in, in other places of the world, significantly less uh, impactful. So yeah. Yeah. huge market, lots of disruption. Legislation and regulatory uh, have, have definitely impacted this in other countries. Europe, um, you know, European countries see very different interchange and in credit card rates and stuff like that. But to your point on, on valuations and cram downs, yeah, I, th- I think like if I were to summarize this article in one sentence, it would be to something that you just said. A company that decides to extend the terms of the previous round isn't doing investors any favors right now. You just need to be intellectually honest about where where valuations are potentially equal parts art and science. Right now, to some degree, it really shouldn't be about preserving equity. It should be about how do I, given today's market and today's deal terms, how do I get enough cash to fund the growth of our company? That's the question you should be asking. Maybe this is a question that I want to ask you on a different episode, but is it wrong? I'm curious what your gut reaction is to this. What if you think bigger than that? What if the thought is, is, hey, I want to build a, I want to make sure I'm profitable. I want to make sure I build a, you know, set of cash reserves for a rainy day, but I also want to build a war chest and maybe buy up some of these competitors or adjacent things. So I, I guess what the, the broader question, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Like, you know, when you, when you say like get enough cash to like fund your growth and stuff like that, do you think, how would you feel if a, if a company came to you right now and said, Hey, we want to raise this much money and we're going to use it to not only grow the company, but we want to have reserves ready to go to, to buy somebody else. Like what, how does that strike you just off the cuff? Yeah. I mean, it's not that different than being a successful business person and you don't have to be a SaaS business for this to say you go to the bank and say look we're a successful business and we'd like to buy out our competitors I'm the 
I'm the largest electrician in Las Vegas and I want to buy out the second largest electrician, HVAC company, Mm -hmm. uh, auto dealer, like you pick it. I mean, that's, you know, banks have traditionally been the route for things like that. So I, I think you're using that brick and mortar example and translating it to the startup world, which is typically when startups are raising money, they don't necessarily know what it is they're trying to acquire. Sometimes they do. But to your point, other times, and I think now is one of those times, it's a great time to have dry powder because you're not sure who's going to fall over. You know, even though there were a couple of people that predicted Silicon Valley Bank, you and I didn't. But if we were another bank and we liked the markets that SVB was in, wouldn't it have been great to have been able to be a bidder on those assets when they came up? Well, I don't want to put you on the spot too much there. But I, I think, yeah, anyway, it's going to be a fun, well, it's going to be a, a, a lot of awkward conversations for for funded founders this year. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, the summary of all that, though, is, is that, you know, as always, valuation's not the only thing. And, you know, when you're raising money, you got to look at all the other levers that are on that term sheet and decide what's ultimately important to you. Sometimes there's a case for that huge valuation, you know, mm-hmm. but it will come with other costs that you're either going to recognize or you're not <laughs> until it's too late. And I have a feeling a lot of companies over the next couple months are going to you know, be faced with that problem. Like you said in the pre-show, if Stripe's dealing with this, what do you think everybody else is going to, what's going to happen to everybody else? <laughs> that summarizes yeah. it right there. And and to your point, if the only term you're concerned with on your term sheet is the valuation, you are way, way, way too focused. I always say if, if all you care about is valuation, you write the number, I get to write the rest of the term sheet. Right. I'll take that deal all day long. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep. So... Anyway, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes and and uh, knock on wood, I'd like to think that we've been really conservative with the companies we invested in. Like we, you know, I don't, I don't think I, you can probably poke holes in this argument or this idea, but I think this isn't going to affect us too much. Probably it's not going to affect you guys either too, too much because we've both walked away from deals where we were like, Hey, this entry price is just way too high. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens to like some of these bigger firms like, uh, you know, Andres and, and everybody else way above our pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and wrapping up with this tweet that you sent that uh, I still can't tell how much we disagree on this, even though we kept saying that we disagree with each other, but, um, but I'll read it. Um, and this is, uh, this is in reference to, you know, a lot of the advancements that we've seen over the, the past handful of days and weeks on uh, chat GPT and, and comparable technology. This is the kind of tech where if your first order concern is, quote unquote, how do I make a product with this? You're not really taking it in. Humanity is making a true technological leap, perhaps the last one we can solely take credit for. I know hyperbole is your favorite, favorite thing to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, what did I say? What did I say to you last night in text while you were sleeping? Uh, I think you said it was a hot take uh, or too hot of a take for you. Yeah, too hot take for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, look, I, I, I think I, I would agree with you that that last sentence may be a little bit too hyperbolic. I think that you know, to say that it might be the last thing we can solely take credit for, I, I don't know that that's true. I mean. Surely one of the 7 billion people on this planet will come up with something uh, unique. So <laughs> the, uh, the numbers are uh, not in that statement's favor. But 
I, I do, but I do agree with the sentiment of the earlier part of that tweet where, you know, he says it's a huge leap. I do agree with that. I mean, I know I'm going to sound old, but when we, when you and I were growing up, the smartest person in the neighborhood was probably the one that had access to the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and, then, you know, cause they had all the information, you know, you, you know, if you could afford to buy that thing and store it in your house, you, you could look anything up that you wanted. Um, and then when the World Wide web hit, all of a sudden information was much more openly accessible by anybody with a computer. And then you fast forward all the way to this, just to draw the parallel. It's like, this to me is really about giving even more people access to information and capabilities that they would have otherwise had to have either paid for or learned on their own. I don't know, like open AI is like turning into the next Google, it seems like, you know, like if you really think about it, Google layered itself on top of the World Wide Web and said, hey, we're going to try to make it. What, what was, I forget what their mission was, but it was something like make everything easy to find or something like that. Um, and this seems like the next generation, like in, in like 20 leaps ahead of it. So anyway, I, I, I think we're on the same page though. Like I think that last part is a little too much of the statement. <laughs> uh, but the first part, I think we're in agreement. It's, it does feel like a big leap. Yeah, it, it's a, um, it's, it's definitely a huge leap. And to your point, I, I definitely think the statements in the tweet were hyperbolic, but I think this is a, I think what we're, what we're seeing right now with chat GPT and open AI is a celebration of innovation and technology with a healthy mixture of humanity in that you said something in the pre-show, we're talking about it, about SaaS companies and making some of them obsolete. And I definitely think that it will speed those things up. But but to that point, and to your point about like the ubiquitous nature of, of Google and what they were shooting for, I, I think this is, at least thus far in our history, one of the, the most prolific accelerators I've ever seen by, by providing compute and resources to people that, to your point, are not coders or developers this allows people to rapidly advance an idea to see if there's product market fit. Yeah. Another way to talk about this is, is that it's so different than all the hype that was around blockchain, for example. Everybody, when blockchain came out, everybody's like, blockchain for this, blockchain for that. You know, it was, it was like this thing that was looking for, it was a solution looking for this problem, any problem. And ultimately, I can't think of any um, big win with blockchain <laughs> other than crypto, probably. But this feels a little bit different. I mean, it, it 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 almost feels like a toy still. Like you can do a lot of cool stuff. You look at a lot of the demos that people are doing with GPT-4 on Twitter. And, you know, it, it kind of looks still early stage and all that stuff. But it's also come really far in just a week. I mean, that it's like Tuesday of that week, they announced GPT-4. And then Thursday of that week, they announced the App Store. And then within 24 or 48 hours, like everybody's got plugins on there that are doing interesting things. And, and so, I don't know, when you see the pace of the, or the rate at which those, those updates are coming now, it's like, that's pretty cool. There's something there. And yeah, it feels like a big leap. I think only in hindsight, are we going to be able to see what that leap really was? I mean, you remember, like, I remember back at AOL when I was working there, I feel like back then half the world thought the World Wide Web was a joke. You know, it was yeah. like for nerds and porn and whatever. And then the other half were like, this is the future. And like, when you see polarization like that, there's 
there's something there. And, and I feel like you're starting to see that same sort of polarization around AI right now, you know, in GPT, half the world says, so what? And the other half, it seems to be saying, wait, but look at all these things you can do. So who knows, maybe everything will fizzle out on this thing. But at the same time, it feels like Microsoft in the span of about a month went from, hey, we're cool, we do a lot of stuff to all of a sudden they they seem like they have more IP and possibility ahead of them now than Google does. Yeah, and you said something, um, I think it was in pre-show yesterday or last time we recorded, and it's, it's going to give me two questions to pose to you. You were talking about how you remember when Twitter released their API and a whole bunch of people built on top of it. And that led to two comments uh, 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 get you to answer from a question standpoint. The first is, I wonder, and we may not, we probably don't have this answer right now. When you talk about how quickly these things are appearing on the app store um, right now, like you use Zapier as an example, I wonder if it's a product of those companies realizing how important it is to be out and be first. And so they dedicated all their resources to getting this stuff done. Or if it is magnitudes easier to build on these platforms. So that's question number one. And you got to remember it while you wait for question number two. Or maybe comment number two. Your comment about all those folks that were building on the Twitter API, who then ultimately turned around and got crushed when Twitter started charging people to use the API. And are we going to look back six months or a year from now and see a bunch of carcasses of companies that scrambled to be first in this race to build a model and then find out that some sort of a paywall or gateway crushed what they had already built because it's now no longer economically feasible. Okay, there. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to remember all of both of those questions, but I know you'll keep me honest here. I, <laughs> I'm here for you, man. Okay, first off, OpenAI is at the top of the value chain here. So anything that anybody builds on this thing, you know, they're you know they're getting paid for it. OpenAI is going to do just fine, and and uh, their APIs, at least the ones that I've read so far, the APIs are actually really nice. I mean, like they're they're really good. That second part, there is platform risk here. So anybody building on top of the APIs for OpenAI needs to understand that there is a platform risk. And unfortunately, nobody really knows the future. They could leave their APIs priced the way they are, mm -hmm. or they could take them back. Or Microsoft could say, hey, Sam, why don't you go ahead and uh, retire with a trillion dollars or something like that and give us the whole thing. And then Microsoft shuts the whole thing down and, you know, only makes it accessible to Microsoft product. Who, the, I, I'm not saying those are things that are going to happen. I'm just saying that like, there is a platform risk here. Open AI wins no matter what. <laughs> like, like that, that Sam Altman is set for life for sure. If he isn't already, uh, well, he's probably set for a couple lifetimes at this point, but the, uh, <laughs> so they're going to be fine. All of us are going to have to pay for it or whatever. But the, that second part, the platform risk is real. And the thing is, is like Twitter did all this, uh, you know, a decade ago. You could build on Twitter on these free APIs back then. And now all of a sudden, well, not all now, but like, I feel like two or three years after that, you know, they started putting paywalls on it and the prices have just gotten higher and higher and higher. And even then you don't get the full feed anymore, you know, and, and, and more recently, I think uh now I'm, bra I'm blanking, but uh, there, there's been other players that have done this as well, where like the APIs were free and open, and then all of a sudden they weren't. So, oh, you know who also is known for this? Apple. Apple's well known for, you know, looking to see what apps are working really well on their app store and then making those right. features native, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, there were like, I feel like there were a thousand weather apps <laughs> all, <laughs> until they finally said, oh, we like this one and uh, we're just going to go ahead and make our own. Yeah, it's, it's a dangerous game to play. Like, I, I know from an investor side, I don't want to take that risk. But I think for founders, you kind of can't afford not to take the bet, right? Like, yeah. Like, so for example, Zapier, I'll just use Zapier as an example. Zapier released a plugin on the GPT API you know, a couple of days ago, or depending on when this thing comes out. But anyway, if you think about that from an investor standpoint, if if we if some founder had said we're going to build a plugin that sits on top of a GPT, da da da, da we'd be like, we're not funding that. The platform risk is too high. But Zapier, on the entrepreneurial side of things, cannot afford not to take that bet. You know, they got to get something out there. Worst case scenario, they tried it. Best case scenario, they dominate you know, the gluing uh, piece of GPT to other apps. So it's a good bet, but you have to take it. So anyway, I'm probably not articulating that right, but maybe the summary is, is that on the investor side, platform risk for me is a deal killer. But on the entrepreneurial side, you can't afford not to take the bet. You got to try it. You you sum, you sum up well the, the main contention between investors and founders. <laughs> If only it was like kumbaya and, you know, bro hugs or whatever all the time. But <laughs> Right. Very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. Things. yeah. Oh, man. All right, man. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, are You hopefully are staying home. What's uh, what's your travel like? I hope so. I hope so. Next thing will be college tours. So that's what's next up on our radar. It's not glamorous, but that's our spring break. I love it. Not as glamorous as hanging out on a Disney cruise ship. Oh, I... I feel like hanging out on a Disney cruise ship is going to be fun. Uh, and I love my kids, but they're so young that there's really not anything glamorous about it. We'll be slinging diapers. I just had two umbrella strollers arrive at the house because I learned that double double wide strollers can't fit on, you know, you don't want that in the elevators on a boat and stuff like that. So I'm going to be dadding it up hardcore, fanny pack and all probably with diapers and wipes and extra snacks falling over everywhere. Yeah, I just 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 for clarity, like the, there's no sympathy on the other end of the microphone. So you you keep moving down this path, but they're <laughs> not going to be throwing any sympathy your way. Well, look, uh, I want you to. I hope you'll keep an eye out for my future MacBook. Uh, if I tell me where to buy it eventually, and uh, if anybody's ever going to find out when those people movers at Dulles are going up for auction, I, I know you'll call me about that too. <laughs> I will definitely call you on that and make sure you buy the internet package on the ship. So, cause I don't want you to miss your opportunity to earn those extra miles on this laptop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I will. I will. All right, man. Well, good talking to you. And I will see you in a couple days, hopefully with a little bit more of a, uh, a tan on me too. Very nice. All right, man. Talk to you soon. 